8.45, and that is our signal to put on our science hats and welcome Mark Zastro, science journalist in the studio. Good morning. Good morning, Alex. Today, we're going to be talking about astronomers spotting a rock from another solar system passing through ours. Um, and is that a fancy way of saying an asteroid? Yes, it right. is. Okay, but we'll talk about that in a second. Mm-hmm. Uh, not a fancy way, but, you know, a, a more descriptive. The formal way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Saudi Arabia's granted citizenship to a robot. You may have heard this before. Wow. You know, still still allowing women into public places, but moving forward with citizenship for a robot. Where, you know, where does that place robot versus women in the scheme of things in society? But anyway, before we get into that one, the oldest trees on Earth apparently grew by tearing themselves apart. Mark... Um, these are pretty old and they're pretty bizarre trees, aren't they? Yes, they are very bizarre. Um, I guess to start with, uh, when we think about today's trees, you know, uh, most of us are familiar with the concept of tree rings, that, you know, trees grow by adding layers to their trunk every year. And then we can track how old they are, you know, based on how many rings there are. Mm. Uh, well, that didn't work hundreds of millions of years ago. Apparently, trees grew completely differently, which we now know thanks to two fossilized trees that were discovered uh, about five years ago in North Northwestern China. They are 375 million years old. And they're examples of what scientists call cladozylopsids. Cl- <laughs> Let me, yeah, it's a tough word to say. Uh, but they were the dominant kind of tree at that time. And they actually looked a little bit like modern palm trees, but the internal structure of the trunk was really nothing like uh, what you see today. Um, right. So you chop down a cladozylopsid, and what do you find? So instead of these tree rings, you actually see something that looks like trees within the trees. Um, Tree rings really contain what are called the xylems. They're the woody tubes that draw up nutrients and water from the ground, and they spread them throughout the tree. So they're kind of like the blood vessels of the tree. But these... Mm. 400, almost 400 million year old trees didn't have neat rings of xylems. Instead, they had one big ring of xylems in the outer part of the trunk. And then there was a hollow space inside. So the whole trunk was hollow, uh, like a, I guess, you know, kind of like a donut. But the xylems themselves had rings. So, you know, it was like this effect of hundreds of trees growing inside each tree. And the other thing is that they were connected uh, in that outer layer by other strands that crisscrossed through the trunk. So it, w- it looked kind of like a mesh or a chain link fence connecting the xylems. And then so this whole trunk, the whole ring actually would expand as it grows instead of adding on new layers. And it would be ripping itself apart. So the whole tree as it was growing, uh, it, w- it was kind of as, as if it were tearing its skeleton apart and constantly repairing it as it grew. So trees are evolving and they've reached this point now where we have a very different structure. It makes you wonder where they'll be in a few more million years' time, maybe chatting to each other. Sure. Well, that's actually one of the interesting things is that these trees are actually from a totally different evolutionary branch. These old trees didn't actually evolve into modern trees. Ah, really? They were actually outcompeted by today's modern trees. So that kind of, you know, it tells you something about the diversity, as you say, the diversity of, of, of life and of evolution and the way that different uh, features can appear. Is there uh, anything else particularly that scientists are hoping to learn from this knowledge now? Right. Well, so these trees actually played a very important role in the early Earth's climate because they really formed the Earth's first forests. So 
You know, that means they actually had a very large role in scrubbing out a lot of carbon dioxide from the atmosphere, which was left over from when the Earth formed. Uh, and they pumped a huge amount of oxygen into it. So that contributed to, you know, making the Earth uh, as livable as it is today uh, and also to changing the climate. So one of the things that scientists would like to do is to figure out just how much of, an, of a climatic impact these trees had. Wow. Just to think that we're getting a a glimpse of trees that would have been around at the same time as the dinosaurs. Right, or even older. Even older. Yeah, yeah, it's a bit like uh, like getting a glimpse of an alien planet, except it's it's not an alien planet, it's just our own planet 400 million years ago. (laughs) Yes. Well, speaking of alien things, astronomers have spotted an asteroid in our solar system visiting from another solar system, as we were just suggesting before, but it's probably not from an alien civilization, rather just a a chunk of ice and rock. Um, So don't get too excited. It is, however, the first time that astronomers have ever found such an interstellar interloper. Yeah, so personally, I think this is really cool. You know, it sounds kind of like the opening of a science fiction novel uh, or movie. Uh, You know, some astronomer first sights this alien object entering our solar system. They see it through their telescope. They alert the whole world that it's coming. And every astronomer and telescope around the world is focused on it, you know, trying to figure out what it's like. And that's actually exactly what happened uh, over the past week and a half. So on October 19th, a postdoc named Rob Warrick at the University of Hawaii was the first to spot this small asteroid. And when he saw it in the images, uh, he could see that it was streaking through the sky at about 25 kilometers per second, which is way faster than anything in our solar system. And it's way faster than anything that could be in our solar system gravitationally bound to our sun. Now, it also was coming from a very unusual direction. Of course, most everything in our solar system orbits in one plane, the planet's orbits, for example. They're aligned basically to one plane within a few degrees. But this one was actually coming in from above all the planets, and it was streaking down towards the sun. So it made a very close pass uh, of the sun, dipping closer than the planet Mercury. And then it swung around it, and now it's on its way, streaking out of our solar system. So scientists are very convinced, because of this trajectory and because of its speed, that this is an asteroid from another solar system. It was probably left over from that alien solar system's formation, and then it traveled across the Milky Way probably for... And you know, at least hundreds or thousands, maybe even millions or billions of years uh, before swinging by us just for a couple weeks. Have we learned anything else from this particular development? Well, so far, not a lot, just because most of the observations right now have been focused on figuring out the object's trajectory, just to to confirm that it did come from outside the solar system. But once we start to get some more data, uh, we might be able to learn what the composition is of this particular asteroid, what it's made of. That could tell us something about what kinds of elements are present in other solar systems and whether they, they, whether they form the same way that ours did. You know, everything that we know about solar systems <laughs> has only come from our basically our own or from, you know, looking at images or, or trying to piece together how other solar systems form from a distance. You know, we're just looking at, at telescope images and sometimes we have to resort to things like, you know, looking 
for the shadows as other planets cross the disk of their stars. This is the first chance that we actually can measure an object in our own solar system that came from another one. Uh, but they're going to have to hurry because right now it's on its way out, and it's only going to be visible uh, by telescopes for another two or three days. Unless it turns back around and then the plot really thickens. Yes, that would be an interesting development <laughs> yeah. for sure. Uh, so finally, um, the world has its first robot citizen, Sophia, granted citizenship by Saudi Arabia, a female sounding robot name right. in a country where women are only just about to be granted access to sports stadiums in segregation. Uh, th- if that doesn't seem bizarre enough, then take us further into the uh, black hole of this particular story uh, surrounding the robot itself. I, I, saw, I must say, just quickly, I saw a, a video, prosthetic-looking face mm-hmm. uh, with uh, an open metallic brain at the back. Sure. It is a, a humanoid-looking robot. Uh, it was developed by a company called Hansen Robotics in the U.S., and uh, its capabilities are you know, basically that it can hold conversations and answer questions, you know, kind of like the AIs that are in your phone, but with a little bit more flexibility and freedom. And so in the run-up to an event called the Future Investment Initiative, which is being held in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia bestowed citizenship to this robot. And Sophia appeared uh, on a panel at this event and said that it was very honored and proud of this unique distinction. Now, before this particular honor, uh, the robot was probably most famous for an appearance it made last year at South by Southwest, the festival in Austin, Texas, where its creator, David Hansen, asked her if she wanted to destroy humans. And she replied on stage, okay, I will destroy humans. Uh, you know, hopefully... Uh, nothing will, nothing further will come of that in that vein. Yeah. Uh, you know, to, in a certain, to, a, to an extent, this is really just a big publicity stunt. Um, you know, it doesn't seem like Sophia is going to be actually making use of her citizenship rights in Saudi Arabia in the near future. Yeah, and that question was clearly fed. I, I, I um, recently met the the makers of the first AI generated movie like the, the script was all written by uh, AI mm-hmm. and they were calling the uh, AI scriptwriter Jetson okay so that was the name mm-hmm. all the, all the way along and then Jetson was actually interviewed upon receiving an award uh, and so mm-hmm. they like fed the questions and Jetson came out with the answers and it was all very stream of consciousness style poetry but then finally the last line that Jetson gave was my name is Benjamin. <laughs> they now call that sc- that robotic or machine-like scriptwriter uh, Benjamin. I wonder if Sophia is going to come out with anything like that on her own. Well, uh, it'll be interesting to see. Um, the thing that it's generated, I think, most so far has been outrage from yeah. women in Saudi Arabia. Um, many Twitter users in Saudi Arabia sent the hashtag Sophia demands the repeal of guardianship trending uh, soon after this event. Uh, one woman said, I want to become Sophia one day and get my rights. Yeah. Huge questions raised for Saudi Arabia itself. Other questions raised for the world, how much further these robots can and will develop, because I presume on that latter question, a lot. Mm-hmm. Mark Zastro, science and technology guru here in the studio with us. Thank you very much. Thank you, Alex. And uh, that's our show for today. We'll be back tomorrow on air from 7.05. Stay with us for Chris, Gabe and Kurt Asian coming up after your latest news headlines. <laughs>